Acts chapter uh, 5, if you'll turn there, excuse me, chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 12 and following today. We concluded with chapter uh, uh, 4, verse 12 last week. Dr. Luke is our writer. The only Gentile New Testament writers, Luke, who traveled with Paul. What a great asset he must have been. And remember the book of Acts is a transitional book. It's a bridge book connecting the synagogue and the church. They were still going to the synagogue and to the temple all the way up until A.D. 70. They were still going. They were thrown out. They'd still go back in. They were going to synagogues and thrown out. Constant conflict, this transition period. Now the synagogue is no more utilized for believers. Uh, the Jews still go to the synagogue, but now the church is established. And so we see that bridge. We also see the connection between the Gospels and the Epistles. Acts is that bridge book, and we know it's also uh, connecting law and grace. And thank God we're not under the law anymore. And so what a great bridge book it is. And we looked look last week at the conviction of the Sanhedrin. They were under conviction because of what had happened. And then the control of the Holy Spirit we looked at in Peter's life as he stood up to preach. And today we're going to look at the courage of the apostles. The courage of the apostles. Let's stand and read verses 12 through 14 from Acts chapter 4. And we love this verse. We concluded here last week. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they had saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. Thank you for our missionary today. We thank you, God, for giving us the word of God by the children of Israel, the oracles entrusted to them and passed down to us. Thank you for that. And Lord, we, we hold in our hands the word of God, and today we look in it uh, for guidance as we certainly need it. And God, we just pray for everyone here today. If there's anyone here that's lost, the invitation's for them. If there's anyone here who wants to join the church, our doors are always open. And Lord, if there's someone here struggling, that they'll just come and request prayer and we'll pray with them. Bless, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. On the screen, you'll notice a verse. And we know that uh, persecution and boldness kind of go hand in hand. Uh, it says, and many of the brethren in the Lord uh, waxing confident in my bonds. When Paul was in prison, what happened? They became confident. I love uh, when we study the epistles of Peter. How that heresy, false teaching, weakens a church. But what does persecution do? It strengthens believers. And that draws us closer to Christ. Did you know the trials in your life also draw you closer to Christ? They bring you to your knees. And we all need to be on our knees more. So here they perceived here. They comprehended that these were ignorant and unlearned men. The word unlearned. Uh, really means illiterate, even though they weren't illiterate in the sense of, of illiteracy today. They had been to the normal uh, synagogue training where they went to school. They could read and write. 
but they were not skilled in Greek rhetoric uh, in public speaking. They hadn't been to the rabbinical schools, just the synagogue. And so they didn't quite have the world stamp of approval. The religious crowd didn't approve them. They weren't skilled in speech. As Paul said, they didn't have the puffed up words, the enticing words, the flattering words. They just weren't skilled like that. They were just fishermen. They were just fishermen. Just ordinary people. No training beyond the regular school they had attended. And so it's just amazing to look at their lives. A.T. Robertson, who's really a, a Greek, a great, one of the greatest Greek scholars we've known. Uh, he's with the Lord now, but he wrote a book, Word Pictures in the New Testament. And he says about Peter's writings, not 1 Peter, that was written by Peter's secretary, but 2 Peter and John's writings were really simple, simple Greek. That if you look at Paul's writings, you can see Paul was really, his vocabulary was really something, but these guys were just common fishermen. And God breathed on them and used their personalities to write scripture. And I love that, that God uses just common people. You're thinking today, can God use me? I'm just, you know, I barely made it through high school. Yes, God can use you. You know, my dad amazed me. He uh, had to quit school as a young man to run his dad's secondhand store. His dad got cancer and died at 56, and his mother got cancer and died, and my dad had to quit school. He had to go back later and get a GED. I don't know if they called it that then. And my dad was just an average Joe. I mean, he sold insurance. He had to get an insurance license, so he wasn't dumb. He did his own taxes, okay? But he was just an ordinary man, and he did not think he was smart. But my dad was used by God. I remember all the times he witnessed when we were in the Christian Reformed Church. They said, Bob, you're casting your pearls before swine. My dad just kept witnessing, giving out literature. And he had that desire to see people saved. And I'll never forget when he was old, he had Lou Gehrig's. He befriended a guy uh, where he lived. He would go down as weak as my dad was and go see this guy who was weaker. And my dad called me up one day and said, I, I want him to the Lord, talking about his friend, how he won him to the Lord. And I thought about my dad. He didn't use the excuse, I'm not smart enough. I'm not skilled enough. I haven't been to seminary. I can't really do anything because I'm just an average person. I'm just a fisherman. You see, you can't say that. If God can use two fishermen, he can use any of us if we surrender to him. And notice it says what they noticed about them is that they had been with Jesus. Now certainly that connects to the idea that, uh-oh, they're going to have the following Jesus had. It doesn't just mean that uh, they stood on a lamppost, but we, we know that they noticed they had been a follower of Jesus, and here they're doing the same thing. But let's leap across to time to today and say this. Do people notice that you've been with Jesus? Do people notice that you're a believer? 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, ye are our epistle, known and read of all men. We're not written with ink on tables of stone, but with the Spirit of God on our heart. Do people notice in your life that you've been with the Lord? Do they notice this guy must be a Christian or something, he's different. Are you on your knees? Are you spending time in the Word? Because if you are, they'll know you've been with Jesus. Verse 14. Here they say, you know, I mean, they beheld the man standing here. 
I love it when John said, behold the lamb. They, they see the man standing here healed. That's our word therapeutic, our word therapy. And so they see that he's been healed. They're looking at him. They see a change. And this is an outward change. This guy had been crippled for more than 40 years later, Luke tells us. Luke uses a medical term saying he got strength in his legs. We know that. He ran into the temple and he jumped up and down. We know that story. We preached that two weeks ago. They say something's happened here. We see a miracle. Uh, this guy, we can see him. And, you know, the world, of course, can see our lives when we change. But they say here, they behold the man standing with and they couldn't say anything. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred amongst themselves. They met in private. What are we going to do? How do we deal with this? This is legit. This guy was jumping up and down. Remember, he had sat outside of the beautiful gate for over 40 years, the gate covered with bronze. They knew who he was. They couldn't deny this miracle. Everybody had seen him. And so here they're, they're confused as to what to do. In verse 16, it says, that, What shall we do to these men? For they indeed, a notable miracle has been done. Uh, by them is manifest. I mean, this word can be translated shine as it is in your New Testament. Uh, th this was shi a shining example of the grace of God. It doesn't mean physically they shine like the Mount of Transfiguration, but they could see the, the, the change in the man. Let your light so shine before men that they may see God in you. That's a paraphrase. Everyone knew it happened. Everyone was aware that this was a legitimate miracle, and they didn't know how to deal with this. I say this is the blindness of unbelief. They see the work of God, and yet they don't believe. Maybe some of you have seen the work of God. You've seen people change. I think of the Chuck Colson story. Chuck Colson, of course, you know, started a great prison ministry. If you ever get a moment to listen to Eric McTaxis when he does the little minute, uh, apologetic minute in the morning, it's so great. Chuck Colson went from prison to prison ministry. What a godly man he was. And no doubt all those folks around him had seen a change because many in his circle of life were saved because he had been changed. And so they don't know what to do. Here's another Chuck Colson, or long before Chuck Colson. Somebody changed. It's obvious they're changed. How do we deal with this? In verse 18, in verse 17, they, the Bible says, and they, and they confronted the apostles of Peter and John and, and threatened them. Don't talk about this name anymore. Remember, they came to him and said, by what power and by what name? Where did you get the authority and the power. Where did you, where did you, what, by what name are you doing this? And what do they say? It's not our piety. It's not our holiness. It's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. And in that name, anything can happen to us. And so uh, they're, they're just blown away by what's happened. In verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. The blindness of unbelief. Why don't they realize that Jesus is real? They had never seen anything like this. A guy completely healed, jumping up and down and praising God and disrupting the temple. 
And of course, hundreds of followers by now remember that there were 3,000 saved at Pentecost. And last week we read where there were about 5,000 people now following Christ. Jerusalem was overrun with Christians and they couldn't stand it. In fact, they weren't going to deal with Peter and John because of politics. They were afraid that there would be a riot, as Tyndale says. And so here they are. We've got to stop these guys. So don't you guys talk about that name anymore. Kind of what the world says today. I don't want to hear you talking about Jesus at work. You can talk about anything at work. We can talk about Jesus, a new rule. A new rule. Don't talk about Jesus. You can knock on doors and hand out literature, but when you hand out gospel tracts, boy, it's offensive to people. They don't like that name of Jesus. But I love what, what Peter and John say. Look, it says, but Peter and John answered them, said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Look at 529, a page over. Same type of answer. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. If our world passes laws that tell us to do something against scripture, we cannot obey those laws. Now be careful, make sure you're reading the law correctly, but we obey God first. He ordained civil government. Read Romans 13. God gave us laws for good to stop evil. And, but when, when bad people get control, sometimes they pass bad stuff. And Peter said, we're going to obey God first. Years ago, I don't know if I have the article anymore, but I had a, a, a magazine, Moody Monthly, and it had an article in it. I'm going back 30 years or more. There was an article about a Christian, excuse me, a secular, a lost businessman who had a Christian wife. And he was lost and she was devoted to God. And the article was about how he asked her to sleep with a business partner. If you can imagine that. What kind of a husband would ask his wife to sleep with a business partner? But he wanted that contract. He wanted that to happen. So he asked her to. And she was caught in a dilemma. What do I do? I have to obey my husband, she thought. But what would scripture tell her? Thou shalt not commit adultery. And God's law always supersedes man's law. While we are told to obey our husbands and children are told to obey their parents, that doesn't mean we have the right to tell people to do things that are unscriptural. Even as your pastor, Hebrews says, obey your pastor, you know. Hey, they teach, they watch for your souls. But what if I start to lead this church and teach you something that's unscriptural? You have to say, no, pastor, I'm not doing that. We're not doing that. Probably have to get rid of me. <laughs> because we have to obey God rather than man. And our country may very well get to a place where we're told we cannot evangelize anymore. I read where they wanted to pass legislation. About three or four years ago, I read an article where they want to pass legislation saying that preaching against moral sin, they didn't call it moral sin. You're preaching that way, we call it preaching against moral sin, the sodomy and the, all the junk that's going on now, that that would be, they're going to pass legislation to make that hate speech so they could then stop pastors from saying that. Now, we don't want to be hateful. That's never our intent. But this Bible makes it very clear God has a moral standard. 
And we are going to stand by that. And if the world says we can't do that anymore, then we say no to the world. And yes to the word of God. And so here, they're, they're really, really standing up. You know, I love that about Peter and John. They're standing up. They're not being ugly. Sometimes we have people who are Christian people that get ugly and they don't need to get ugly. They go to work and they pick a fight and they act like they're persecuted. They're just belligerent. Let's not confuse the two. Uh, I had a friend years ago, he tried to change the music at work to play hymns during the day when he was there. And I said, you can't expect that. The natural man isn't going to tolerate that. And what right do we have to impose our convictions on our coworkers? Here's our problem. We try to sometimes force our standards on lost people. They have to have a change before they can understand our way of thinking. And if you try and disciple a person who doesn't know God by telling them he's doing wrong, and he need, no, you need to stick with repentance and faith. They have to trust the Lord before they'll think like you. We can't expect the world to abide by our rules. You know, there are three kinds of people in the world, right? The natural man. Who is that? That's the sinful man. All he knows is what nature uh, teaches him. He has a conscience, but he's ignored that long enough now. He does what satisfies himself. That's the natural man. And then there's also the spiritual man. The man, uh, Romans talks about, who the Holy Spirit, like Peter here, the Holy Spirit guided him and, and directed him. And the Spirit-filled man, he's controlled by the Spirit. He wants to do everything to please God. While he'll make mistakes, his intentions are good. He wants to obey and please God. But in between, there's a carnal man. And a lot of times, we have carnal people who profess to be Christians, and maybe they are born again, but they live a life to please the flesh. I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody, but I guess I might in saying what I'm going to say. Things of all, think of all the things we do in the flesh. I go to churches, and I, I oftentimes I was up at a church... Um, and preached a few weeks, a few months ago in Virginia, and they had a fellowship for me afterwards. It was real sweet. I saw a guy with a plate that high, and I thought, you've got, he's bringing it home late. No, he ate it all then. Now, that's not self-control. <laughs> Saying things you shouldn't say is not self-control. The spiritual man tries to live a life according to the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't he? And so anger and self-control, we all struggle with that. I've joked with you about all my struggles with self-control. I've joked and said I've had a lifetime affair with little Debbie, Betty Crocker, and Aunt Jemima. I've joked about that. Because it's a struggle for me. My old nature's wanting to do one thing, and I'm wanting to do something else. The spiritual man, he doesn't yield to the flesh all the time. He battles it. He battles. But the carnal man gives into the flesh because it feels so good. It does feel good. Let me tell you something. When someone gives me a, a pie that I like, don't ask me two days later if there's any left. <laughs> it will be a daily battle for me. <laughs> you know, we, we, we all, and I use that on myself, but you can identify with that, can't you? Because you have daily struggles with the flesh. In your marriages, at work, 
It's so difficult. You can get behind the wheel of a car. Some of the nicest people I've known get behind the wheel of a car and it's like, whoa, baby, watch out. They're not happy. And we can turn into monsters if we allow our carnal nature. And so what I love about Peter and John, especially in this text, Peter's learned now to yield to God, hasn't he? Remember the coward he was? Now he's courageous. Boy, has there been a transformation in his life. And so here he stands up and says, we're going to obey God. We're not going to listen to you. And he didn't say it disrespectfully. Look at verse 21. Now there's a political decision. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people, for all men glorified God. Because of the people. William Tyndale in the, translates this as they, they, were, they were afraid of a riot. They thought, what can we do now? They have a lot of followers. They'll riot if we punish them. So they had to just threaten them and let them go. So in this case, they, they won. They kept witnessing and preaching. And Luke reminds us that the man was over 40 years old. Over 40 years old. I, I love, again, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men. But they noticed they had been with Jesus. The only way people are going to notice if you've been with Jesus is, number one, if you've repented and trusted Christ. Number two, if you're yielding day by day, moment by moment. You know what? I have to die daily. I've, I've, when I remember in Bible college, I'd go to the altar. Say, boy, I'm going to go to the altar and I'm going to have victory over this thing. And, and I think as I got up there and people prayed and I felt so good. Feelings don't always help. And I went back think I've just defeated the enemy. And guess what happened the next morning? The enemy's still there. The world, the flesh, and the devil are still knocking on your door. It's a daily battle. I die daily. You have to die daily. But it starts with repentance and faith. And I heard a great illustration this week. I don't know if the guy had sound doctrine, but I loved his illustration. He said, repentance, let's suppose that you took an engaged couple and one of, the, one of the people who was engaged said to the other one, now I want you to know that uh, I love you and 85% of my life is going to be committed to you. But 5%, you know, I had my best girlfriend growing up and I'm still going to call her and talk to her as my friend. And then I had the girlfriend I was with for a long time and I'm going to spend some time with her. We love to hang out. We love to hike in the mountains. And then I've got my lover. And so, I, but I'm going to give you 85% and those all are going to get at 5%. And so they, they decide to get married. Is that going to work? No. He would have to say to his wife, I've turned my back on all those others I love. When you repent, you say to God, I'm a rotten sinner. And God, I need your help to turn from all those things that I love in the world. And if you aren't willing to do that, you really haven't repented. Can you give up anything and everything for God? Even, even your love for your brother or your sister in comparison to your love for God has to be minimal. You have to love God far more than anything you love in this world, including your husband or wife and including your children. 
If you love your children, you discipline them. You know that. The question I'm going to ask again, do people know you've been with Jesus? I know we're making an application there, but I want you to understand it's so important that you are a Bible every day when you're out in the world that people can see Jesus Christ, see a change in you, or see a person who they really respect. Maybe they didn't know the old Dan and they see the new one and maybe they say, I like the way that person lives his life. There's something about that person. I've had both things happen to me. <clears throat> I've had people come up and say they noticed the good in my life, but I remember years ago, as a young guy and I was trying so hard to do so many things, I was in my 20s and someone came up and said, after we had a disagreement, and I thought you were a Christian. I felt about that high. Tonight, I'm going to tell you a story. I planned about months and months ago to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you tonight about a mistake I made, <clears throat> a lie I told. You say, Pastor, you've lied. I have, and so have you. We all struggle. Sure. I'm going back a lot of years. I left a mission board 20-some years ago. But you know what? The best thing we can do when we, when we sin is seek God's forgiveness. Don't cover it, hide it, deal with it. I want to be that kind of a pastor to you. And I know that you want to be that kind of a person for God. Maybe someone is watching your life right now. And I hope they see that you've been with Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I know, God, you're always perfect when it comes to timing. I didn't know who would be here today, who wouldn't. I knew some had committed and some hadn't. But Lord, you know the hearts, you know the circumstances, the situations. Thank you for being the all-knowing God. For using me this morning to say what's on my heart from your word. And I just pray if there's anyone here who's not a Christian, today they'll be saved. And that our altar's open for any who need to come. Bless this time in Jesus' name.